most dentists do not know that their unanswered call rate is in the 30s. And so instantly you're failing from a customer service standpoint, like right out of the gate. But the doctor has no idea if you made him guess, made him or her guess what their unanswered call rate was, they would say, oh, it's, you know, 5% or 1%. I even have doctors that are like, it's 0%. We don't miss any calls. And really they're missing a third of their calls. Welcome to another episode of Dental Rift. I'm your co-host, Gary Bird. I'm the CEO of SMC National. We provide predictable new patient flow for offices just like yours. I am Tanner Applegate, co-host as well, and CEO and founder of Unified Dental. We are a SaaS platform that helps you manage all of your passwords and websites all in the same place. We have Gary, a I have to pain. say, oh, go ahead. Before you jump into that. I gave Gary a hard time once for saying I'm the host and now he says he's co-host. But the problem is, is the episode never aired, right? And we ended up with an issue. So I just think it's really funny that if you guys, for those that are frequent listeners, you may notice that change in Gary's uh, tonality. That's why. That's the, the story behind the story. Well, yeah. No, you were right, though. You were like, I mean, we could have both been the host or we can do co-host or whatever. It's good. Um, I love it. I, I took it to heart. So, okay. So, um Three things. I got three like really, really, really hot topics for you guys today. Number one, and I think this is going to be the best topic and we're doing it first, is Disneyland experience at a dental office and is insurance preventing you from having that? Like not possible to have that kind of experience. Super fascinated about that one. We have one around picking people up at the airport. And I think people will like that topic. And the last one is an AI critic prompt that will absolutely blow your mind if you're using chat GPT or any AI, this prompt will absolutely revolutionize the way that you use it. But before we jump into those, Tanner, do you want to talk about the events that we have coming up? Yeah, I'm cu- it's just wanted to give a quick shout out where you can find us coming up. I will be um, at the Women in DSO as well as the ADSO at the end of March. All right, so those are the, kind of the two most imminent ones you'll find me at in March. How about you, Gary? Where are you going to be at? I will not be at those. Um, I will be speaking at the next, my next event that I'll be at is at Simplify's Amplified event. I'll be hosting a panel on AI automation. Um, and we'll, we'll be doing, we'll have uh, several uh, in the mar- in marketing, AI automation and marketing. And I'll be hosting a panel on that. So super excited about that with I was three- like, wait a minute. Yeah, three. I'm hosting dental- a panel at that for AI too, and I was like, "Wait, are we hosting the same? Pa- Did they fire me without telling me?" But mine's <laughs> wait, not in wait. marketing. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Okay. Yeah. AI automation in marketing. Yours is in uh, probably around ops Operations, or clinical. Yeah. 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 And then somebody's probably doing clinical. I would imagine. So that's really really cool. So I'll be doing that. That's a uh, May 10th through the 12th. That's going to be an exciting one. And then I got some. Uh, we're hosting three, actually four events over the next 12 months. And so we are going to start marketing those like crazy. We are doing one at Dykema, at the Dykema event. You can go to their website and check that out. And then we're also hosting a Full Arch Advantage in August to help you create, convert, and close more Full Arch cases. And uh, I think I'm, I, I think we're going to ask you to speak at that one if we haven't already, Tanner, uh, around the tech stack. Um, but um, anyways, that's what we have coming up. So if you're going to be there at any of those stop by and say hi we love chatting with listeners and getting to know you a little bit more so if you're in person at those events we'd love to get to know you absolutely 
All right, so let's talk about a Disneyland experience at a dental office and why that might not be possible. Well, so the reason where this came up is I just got off of a Disney cruise. I've been on cruises before, right? This is the first time in a Disney cruise. My mom was celebrating a big birthday, and so we all went out with the extended family. So Disney Cruise, too, was like three times more expensive than all these other cruises. So I was like, all right, let's figure out what is Disney doing? Are they just charging off their name differently than these other ones? So I kind of want to go through some of the things that I recognize on this cruise where I was like, Disney was full on superior to these other cruise companies that I've been with. Okay. So for reference, I've been with Norwegian and Royal Caribbean. And so kind of middle of the line, right? Royal Caribbean's okay, but they're still not kind of like top of the line cruise uh, companies. So with Disney though, first thing that I want to point out that I thought was very interesting and, and Disney is known for its entertainment is that their entertainment group Normally you have like eight to 10, maybe 15 people where like they do the shows at night and they have the same people doing different shows, right? They usually have eight to about 15 bodies doing this. And the Disney one was full on like Broadway style where they had 25 plus crew members on these plays, right? So every single one of those have to be extremely talented in what they do. They're usually not coming from uh, places where labor is cheaper, right? So you have to pay for each one of these talents. So that was something that the Disney cruise said, hey, this is important to us. We're going to invest in that, right? So I thought that was impressive. The second thing, too, that I thought was impressive was that they did just drop in Kid Lab, which other which you kind of expect from Disney. But the number of kid, like, people to child ratio was extremely impressive, right? So now all of a sudden, my, Disney is essentially paying for someone to babysit my kid all the time that they have to increase their expenses in order to pay for people to be there. Um, and again, I noticed that they weren't from cheap countries, right? They were like, they were US, Europe, Australia, like those type of countries. It wasn't like they went out to the places where they had a lot of lower cost of living. And so that was another area. And then there was things like the, just like what you'd expect from Disneyland or Disney World is their cleanliness was the highest I've ever seen. Right. So, you know that they're paying bodies to be there everywhere. So ultimately, kind of as I was going through all this, what stood out to me was that Disney had a huge amount of team members to customer ratio compared to other ships. Right. So where people cut the most cost, right, is they take down the number of team members they have in order to generate their revenue. As a result, though, you're paying a lot more to be on Disney. So let's compare that then, Gary, to a dental office. Right. The Disney experience in my mind, sure, you're paying a lot and it continues to go up. But I also do think that Disney staffs up higher than most places because of this quality of experience they have. Right. Like if you look around their cast members at Disneyland and Disney World, like their their janitors are people that are also doing like creative things. Right. They're drawing Mickey faces on the floor or they're engaging yep. with their customers. Right. Like you don't get that from entry-level well, team members. No, you don't. And well, I think even more important, and this is something that I really learned early on, or recently in business, I should say, that I didn't realize early on, is that coming up with solutions is not the same as coming and being able to identify the correct problem. So anybody can come up with solutions. But if you're coming up with solutions for the wrong problem, it doesn't matter. I would argue that Disney is hyper-focused on the right things 
that provide customer service. And often dental offices don't even know what the things are to provide the customer service. Let me give you an example. Most dentists do not know that their unanswered call rate is in the 30s. And so instantly you're failing from a customer service standpoint, like right out of the gate. But the doctor has no idea. If you made him guess, made him or her guess what their unanswered call rate was, they would say, oh, it's, you know, 5% or 1%. I even have doctors that are like, it's 0%. We don't miss any calls. And really they're missing a third of their calls. So just that little nuance there of being able to identify the right problem versus not identifying the right problem is going to make all the difference in the world. I agree with that, that Disney is definitely focusing on the right things. My question though, is that Disney has similar problems to what dental offices face, which is how do we get that data? Right. Obviously, Disney has the capability and the funds to be able to figure out the data that they need in order to be able to make sure they're measuring the right things, right? Like, as soon as I go and stand in a queue to get in line for some ride, Disney knows how long I've been standing in that ride, right? Like, they know exactly they have all that stuff detailed in. And so, the, maybe the argument is we just need to get better at recording and figuring out what numbers we need to be able to track in, in, uh, our dental offices. 100%. No, I agree with that. I think that's what it boils down to is that, cool, we want to create a better experience, but what is a better experience? What does that actually look like? And that's where with like people like um, uh, Smile Direct Club, they do a great job of this. But I know clinically they don't do as good of a job, right? And a lot of dentists don't like them. But from a marketing and customer experience standpoint, early on in the, you know, at the beginning of the funnel, killer job, better than almost everybody else. And, and they go in and they actually went and solved the problem. Now they didn't follow it all the way through and figure it out all the way to the back end, but that's a separate conversation. So yeah, I, I, let's touch on that though, because I think that my argument too, would be that Disney didn't always have that data, (laughs) right? I don't, I don't think that certain access to data we have now thinks the technology was always available, but did Disney has been known for their customer service for a long time before they could even access that data. So my argument could be then is we blame it on the access to data, but the reality too is what comes first, the culture or the data. And I think that we quickly kind of say, hey, it's the data. We don't have access to it. But the reality is too, is there's a lot that we could improve by improving the culture. Yeah. So what is it? I totally agree with that. Disney learn that we learn from Disney about how to improve the culture as we are improving the process. What's their uh, what's their main thing is like creating a magical experience or something like that. What's their like why or their mission or whatever something like something whatever. So it's like we want to create a magical experience for the kids. So then they create this immersed environment to create this magical experience. And if there's trash all over the floor, that's not a magical experience. So then what they do is they have these trash cans at Disneyland that go, when you throw away the trash, it actually goes down un- underground into a bin. So that way they never overflow. It's impossible to overflow, right? So that you have these different things that they do to create that experience. So that, I agree with you. Like if a dental office doesn't have like, hey, our, our mission is the patient and to give them the, the best experience at a dental office that they've ever had or whatever, um, then you're not going to get those outcomes. If, you're, if your mission as a dental organization is to be doctor-centric, then you're going to make the best place for the dentist to work, which is not going to be the best experience for the patient necessarily. 
Yeah. And I think that it gives and takes with process, right? I can go and hire somebody that has an amazing customer service personality and will bring that element to my culture. But when I don't have them, don't give them a process of how to do their job well, right? Now all of a sudden they're going to be stressed and they're not going to perform at their best. And so it kind of goes hand in hand, right? And so if you think about like with Disney, Disney is obviously highly focused on getting the right person in the right seat. And then they've gone through and refined all the processes to teach them to get to that data, right? I think in the dental office, a lot of the times you're right. I think it starts from, do we have even defined what it looks like to be in the right seat, let alone being able to hire and train or even hold people accountable to that. So it goes back then ultimately to those core values. Are you actually living and breathing them? Because it will make a financial difference on your end of like your bottom line because you can build out processes on top of it if you have that figured out. How, how do you think insurances are preventing this from actually happening for dental offices? Yeah, I think as I thought through this too, going back to that ratio of customer to uh, team members, Disney can continue to raise prices in order to increase that ratio and therefore provide you a better experience, right? But the dental office doesn't control their prices all the time they're beholden to an insurance company that says, oh yeah, I'll give you a 5% bump this year. You've been a good kid, right? And so now all of a sudden, if you're in network in order to increase your patient flow, you don't control the amount of revenue that you make directly off those procedures. If you're out of network, now it's a whole different marketing game. I think it's very possible, but scaling that becomes very different for associates and all of the branding and all the awareness of patients, et cetera. Here's the thing, Tanner, too. Like, I don't think it's fair to compare a vacation to getting a medical procedure done. Like, I just don't, you, I don't think you're ever going to be able to compare those two. I think you can draw inspiration from them, but I don't think you can compare them. I, I think that when you compare, you need to be doing it in similar verticals. So in the medical world, what, what can you create that experience? Let me give you an example in the marketing world. I get people all the time that go, Gary, I want my dental site to look like Tesla's. I want a Tesla website or I want an Apple website. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, you do realize they sell products, right? Are you going to sell a product? No, we're not going to sell a product. Well, their site's built to sell more products. And so they, as an example, Apple buries their phone number on like 10 pages deep. You have to click 10 times to get to their phone number. That's on purpose. You wouldn't want to do that on a service website. That doesn't make as much sense. So you have to be very careful when cross-comparing. You disagree with that? Uh, I would I would disagree on the comment of you've got to be careful comparing outside of your vertical because I think that every vertical has regulation that's getting moved in. Really what it is, insurance is essentially third-party regulation, right? My dad, he's an environmental scientist. He ended up growing and working in coal mines his whole life and after being at the same coal mine for like 20 years, they ended up closing down that coal mine because of the amount of federal regulations just started increasing to the point where it was no longer a profitable thing for them to run, right? And so now they had to figure out financially, how do we reduce our expenses while increasing our revenue? And that's really kind of the game that every business plays, right? And so sure, we can't necessarily go in and dictate our revenue increase, but we have to go in and figure out where are we going to spend that revenue in order to get the most optimal outcome. I think that well, the I reason that DSOs I agree are, with that, but I don't, 
I don't I don't think you could ever have a dental procedure that is similar to a Disney trip. An experience. Ever. I think that exactly the you're, same you're, no, if you're but... putting a drill if you're putting a drill in my tooth versus I get to go over here and eat a corn dog and you're like, yeah, this the same emotion was invoked from that. Like that's that would be wild, like if you were able to do that. I think, I mean, I definitely, obviously at face value, I agree with you, right? Like you can't get the same level of exhilaration by going to the dentist. Otherwise we put Disney out of business. But the reality is though, is all of the elements that Disney does in order to elevate that experience are something that you can replicate in the dental world in order to do something. Something as simple as like Disney does not have clutter everywhere, right? How many dental offices do you walk into? where their front desk is cluttered like crazy and they have things everywhere across their room. Like little things like that, like you're making someone anxious by seeing all of that, even if they won't verbally explain that to you. Disney knows that, so they don't do it, right? And even things like the smell of the room, right? When you walk in, Disney has curated different smells throughout the experience for you to feel different ways. The dental office, though they're getting better thanks to um, certain people in the industry, they haven't embraced that the way that they could or should because it's an expense that they don't want to add on. Right. Yeah, so I, I'm I agree. with you on that. Yeah. All right. So I think we beat, I, I think we beat, beat that, that topic up pretty good. Um, <laughs> I got, I got one for you. So, all right. I got a question for you. Is, should you be, should you feel obligated to pick up your friends from the airport? Oh my god. And I'll give you I'll give you this I'll give you my perspective on this, okay? So, for me, like my schedule, I like I pack my schedule cuz I work virtually, right? So, I like anything that takes more than like 30 seconds like messes up my schedule cuz I have everything's just like stacked all my stuff all day long for 10 hours straight, either to-dos or working out or all those kind of things. So, if someone's like, "Hey, can you pick me up from the airport tomorrow?" For me, like you are asking me to drop thousands of dollars basically to come pick you up like and and it's not because i don't want to see you it's not because i don't like you it's because i've already obligated my time especially in like two three weeks out like it's already all spoken for so for me i never ask anybody to pick me up from the airport i don't even like asking my wife to pick me up from the airport i'm like no i'll uber i'll uber we got everybody got stuff this is you know 40 bucks 50 bucks whatever right that and there's this argument online of people who are going back and forth and they're both arguments are pretty good. So I was just curious what you thought. Should, should people automatically Uber and, uh, and give their friends the space and, you know, realize that people work and all that kind of stuff, or should, should the friends be more willing to sacrifice for their friends and go pick them up? Yes. To both my, my thought perception on this is there's this book that I read recently. I absolutely love it. If you read it, Gary, I think we could go off for like, 10 hours on this podcast about it called die with zero, right? What is the, what, where do you balance your time? How do you balance between time and earning money? And what do you do with that? Right. You have a finite amount of those resources. Okay. And one of the things that they say is like, you have to come up with your time, right? What is an hour worth of your time for you? You said, okay, it's worth thousands of dollars, right? We're my, my friends and family know not to ask me because I'm easy to say, no, sorry, I'll send you an Uber, but they're smart by asking my wife. And so my wife will then come and ask me to go and pick them up. And I am way more likely to say yes to my wife because 
my value of an hour for her is a lot more than my value of hours for my friends or my family, right? And so that's the way that I kind of view it is like, okay, what is the relationship that it's dependent on? And how much does that, do I value that relationship? Wow. Okay. I just bought the book, uh, Die, with, uh, Die With Zero. I just bought it. Uh, so I just got it on my phone. So I'm going to listen to that. But yeah, it's, it's a tricky one, right? Because I don't, I don't want people to think that I don't value them. It's just that I could Uber you to my house and I will pay for your Uber. I'd rather pay for your Uber than pick you up. The same with moving, right? Asking people to help you move. I'd rather help you pay for movers than go help you move because it's actually cheaper for me. Have you ever seen The Kid? No. The Kid, it's an old Bruce Willis movie out of like the 90s or something. Anyway, oh, I it, think it, maybe. He, yeah, I remember something like that. He, he's some multi-billionaire guy or whatever that the dad says the same thing. And he says, I, didn't you see, hear the movers that I paid for you? And he said, um, he said, I didn't, it wasn't about the movers. It was about the time with you. Right. And, and I oh, well, think that that's, I, that's fair. fair. That's fair. But I would rather go do something fun with you. <laughs> right. Like moving isn't fun. And I don't, I don't view that as bonding time. Really? Like it's the I love view language that as work. Though, of the person. Ah, okay. Yeah. If their, if their love language is service, then totally it is something that's meaningful to them. But if their love language is quality time or something else like that, gifts, maybe it's not the same way. Yeah, that's true. Very, very interesting. There's actually a book, The Five Love Languages of, of Work. Um, so you got the five love languages and then they translated it over to work. It's basically the same thing, just another way to sell right. books. But I, I thought it was interesting that they translated it. Have you read it? Yeah, I've read both of them. Yeah, I've, I've read the, the same one. It's the same. As long, if you know the five love languages of just the regular one, then you just move right. it over. I, it's work. It's it, I like their the example, touch though. one was weird. The touch one was weird. The hookah was like, well, the, ooh, how are you guys going to go? <laughs> how are you going to do on the touch one? I read one with like obviously the original and then I read one for the kids. And I did like how they use examples with kids differently. And so it was yeah. worth it. So it might be interesting for me to read the work one too. But my wife's, yeah. my wife's is service. And so when she asked me to do it, that's why I know, okay, this is a love language thing where it's important to her. She, she's my, also my wife's, my, my wife's love language is the same as mine. It's food. So we always just like going places with good food. And as long as there's good food and good coffee there, then let's go there. Even we, everywhere we travel, every, anytime it's like, do you want to go to this country? I'm like Googling up their food and their coffee there. And then I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to go there. My, my guess is Serger's love language would be uh, quality time. Is that true? Um, quality time or words of affirmation. Like if someone's words just like, hey, true. yeah. Like if someone's just like, hey, good job. I really appreciate you brought a lot of value. I'm just like, cool. That's all I need. I'm good. Um, uh, gifts are definitely not it. Like I don't, when people give me things, I feel obligated to like do something back for them. So it's, yeah. it's actually has the opposite effect on me. Um, the being like, I'll still be super grateful and thankful, but I just feel even Christmas and like, I don't even tell people my birthday cause I don't want to get stuff from people. So that's, <laughs> I'm, I'm weird that way. Um, but yeah. All right. Um, we got, we got two more minutes. All right. I'll share this last one in, in two minutes. Um, AI critic prompt. Have you heard of this one? I've heard of it, but t go, go in a little bit deeper. I'm curious where you're going to go. You're going to love this. All right. So I'm actually gonna, I'm actually going to share a real example um do 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 all right let me pull this up okay so i wrote i wrote a post i said write this into a compelling social media post write a hot hook and write it in an eighth grade level use emojis 
And then I just write this really short sentence. So if you're listening online and not, not watching, uh, this is all on chat GPT. I had an amazing, I had the amazing privilege to, uh, to, uh, to host a three hour CE course on dental marketing at UCLA. We covered a ton of topics and it was a highlight of my month. So then it writes this post, right? And I said, what, this is the, this is the critic prompt. What could you improve about this post? So then it gives me three things that it could improve on. Right. And then I said, great. Yes. Do all three. And for number one, here's more context because I needed more information to do one of the, the improvements. So then it made the post a little bit better. And then I said, what could you make better about this imp- uh, post? And then it gave me three more. And I said, yes, do all three. And it made it even better. And then I said, what could you improve? And then it gave me three more. And I said, yes, do it. And it finally gave me this post, which was the best of all the posts. And basically what, what um, you're able to do with chat GPT that you're not able to do with humans humans, we have blinders on what we can improve on because we have higher estimations of ourselves than what reality is. So we can only improve in very small ways, right? Where chat GPT and AI, can, it can actually do a 360 look at itself because it doesn't have ego. So it instantly goes in and goes, oh yeah, we can improve all these things about it. And if you keep asking it to improve it, it'll actually keep making it better and better and better. So it's, a, it's such a quick hack you ask it three times, like, hey, make it better. Can you make it better? What could you make better? And it will quickly improve whatever you're give, trying to create. I'm going to give you some homework, Gary, before we jump off. Yep. Yep. You should take a transcript of one of our podcasts, plug it into chat BGPT and do that. Do three times Ooh. how it thinks it could okay. have done that better. All right. And well, the, here's one of the downsides, though, with ChatGPT. You can't do like a 20-minute episode. Right. You can only do like five to like six minutes. Like one of our so maybe segments. I'll take like a... Yeah, I'll take one of the segments. Peace.